0: The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the third chapter. Glory Glory to you, O Lord. Lord. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus answered, let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, Lord. In our annual rotation of readings for worship, this is called Year A. I mean, does the church know how to juice up the title of things or not? Year A means that it is Matthew's year, which means that from now until Advent, come December, uh, Matthew will be our primary storyteller for the year. And so on this baptism of our Lord Sunday, which actually comes around every single year, it is Matthew's version that we heard this morning. Jesus' baptism by John launches his adult ministry. Every single thing he did or said, everything you ever heard of him doing or saying as an adult started here at his baptism. It's like this is his inauguration or maybe even better I guess we could say this is almost like his ordination. Which is why Mark's Gospel right off the bat in chapter 1 starts with Jesus' baptism as the very first story he tells us. In Mark's gospel, literally everything begins with Jesus' baptism. Matthew, however, though yes, Jesus' baptism does mark the beginning of it all in terms of his adult ministry, Matthew doesn't get around to telling the story of his baptism until halfway through chapter 3, which means what? It means he wanted to establish some context by telling us some things that he thought were important for us to know prior to the beginning of the story. Me being kind of a context junkie, And this being the year of Matthew, we're going to take a cue from Matthew, and we're going to just take a quick look back to the beginning of Matthew to get the context, see the things that he apparently thought it was important for us to know before Jesus came out for his coming out event by being baptized by John. It just might be interesting. Matthew begins his gospel, and oh my, isn't this interesting? Matthew begins his gospel with a 42 generation long genealogy on Jesus' dad's side. As in, you've got Jesus, and then before him there was his dad, Joseph. Before him, there was his paternal grandpa, whose name was Jacob, preceded by his eternal great-grandpa, whose name was Mathen, and his paternal great-great-grandpa, whose name was Eliezer. And it keeps on going for 37 more generations of grandpas. I mean, talk about interesting. You are hooked right off the bat, right? Because you know, you know. I mean, heck with football, uh, basketball, you know you want to go home this afternoon and read this entire 42 long generation because it's really interesting. Right? Actually, seriously, it's interesting. Among other things, in that genealogy, Matthew traces the lineage of Jesus back through, for example, uh, King David, who had been promised that a descendant of his would sit on the throne of, of the kingdom for forever. And then Matthew goes back, finally all the way back, to grandfather Abraham, who is found clear back at almost the very, very beginning of the Bible, right after the Bible did begin how? By telling us that God created A world that was oh so beautifully, wonderfully good. I mean, God was so very pleased with what God created. God delighted in the world God created. For it was the world that God meant the world to be. And the world that God means the world to be still. A world in a garden of delight called Eden. Where the people God created loved God. And they obeyed God. And they loved each other. They loved and cared for the garden, it says. They loved and cared for the earth. But then it says, here also very early on in the story, sin became part of the story as God's people named Adam and Eve in this case, but the story continues. And in this case, God's people named Adam and Eve decided they would rather be gods than have God be God. As in they would rather have their own literally damned way rather than love and serve and obey God and God's ways. (coughs) And people wanting to be gods who have all things their way, no matter who or what stands in the way, that is the Bible's big picture understanding of why things in God's world went from good to bad to ugly. The ugliness reaches a climax with a building project as the people of the earth at a place called Babel say, let us build a tower all the way to heaven, all the way to God, and let us make for ourselves a great name a name that is as great as God's which is when we get to Genesis 12 where it says that God responded to this ugly hubris of sin but choosing and promising to bless this particular man named Abraham and to bless his descendants too throughout the generations. Not only for the sake of blessing only them, but rather for the larger purposes, clear from the beginning, God says, the larger purpose of reaching through them with his blessing to others, to all others in this now sin separated from God world. Truly interesting thing, that genealogy Matthew tells us right off the bat, is his way of telling us that this Jesus story he is setting out to tell us is, aha, this might be an epiphany. This Jesus story is a continuing and climactic part of the Bible's biggest picture of all story, that being the story of God reaching to have God's sin-estranged people back again. Back home. Back to paradise. Back in the arms of God's love. Back trusting God again, rather than fighting God and fighting others in our what will inevitably always be ugly quests to be God's. Matthew follows that genealogy with his version of the Christmas story, which like his genealogy is told from Joseph's perspective, and which includes Joseph being told by an angel in a dream that this child um, should be named Jesus, which means he saves, for the angel said he will save his people. Save them from what? Save them from what they need saving from. Name him Jesus, the angel said for he will save his people from their sins.
1: Matthew is the
0: one who then, as we heard last week, tells the story of the Magi coming to Bethlehem, those Magi who specifically weren't descendants of Abraham, they specifically weren't Jews, they specifically weren't from around here. Their appearance is a reminder that, aha, epiphany time, This story of this birth of this Jewish child isn't a story that's just for the Jews. It's for all people whom God so loves that God sent God's Son to save the world from the self-inflicted ugliness of its sin. Matthew alone is then the one who tells us this so ugly story of King Herod trying to put an end to the story right at the beginning by sending his soldiers to Bethlehem to find and to kill this newborn king. Warned by an angel, Joseph saved the Savior, taking Mary and Jesus to Egypt before Herod's troops got there, but Herod's soldiers did nevertheless kill other newborns in Bethlehem. That story reminds us of the fact that, well, here's another epiphany, albeit one we wish we didn't need. Not everyone in this world God loves and wants to save is interested in being saved or being loving. And when the one interested, not interested in love is in power it is so often the most vulnerable who pay the price. After Herod died, Matthew tells us Joseph took his wife and his son to Nazareth where apparently Jesus grew up except that Matthew does not say one single thing about all of those growing up years rather the very next thing he does is tell us that when Jesus is all grown up about thirty according to Luke, a man by the name of John the Baptist starts baptizing sinners who came to him confessing their sins and promising from now on to stop their sinning and as a symbol of their promise to live clean from this day forward John had them kneel in the Jordan River where he did baptize them with a baptism that he himself called a baptism of repentance for sin. At which point, context now firmly established, we reach our gospel reading for today where with the crowds of sinners coming out to be baptized by John by saying they were sorry for their sins and by promising to stop sinning, one day along with all the other sinners comes Jesus saying he wants John to baptize him. And though Matthew doesn't say this in so many words, it is clear absolutely between the lines that John knows who Jesus is. He doesn't, and Matthew will tell us this later on down, down the story, he doesn't know everything that being who Jesus is will come to mean. But he does know, which is why his heart surely skips the beat it does when he sees him he does know that Jesus is the one whom his dreams had told him would come soon. Which is surely why he then said to Jesus something that again is a detail, this is only in Matthew, but it's a great detail. Matthew tells us that when Jesus came to the Jordan to be baptized by John, John said, I, I don't think so. Um, that would not be right. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you. Jesus insisted. And so John consented. And this man who had told sinners to come to him sorry for their sin now did baptize Jesus who of course, and this is why John raised the question in the first place Jesus didn't have any sin to be sorry for. Or did he? The exact word Jesus used in telling John to baptize him is that it would be the righteous thing to do. Righteousness being a word in this case which does not refer to human acts or human righteousness but to God's acts and to God's Righteousness and finally, to God's kingdom come, and God's will done. And what is God's will, big picture-wise? Context, remember context. Matthew told us early on, you will name him Jesus, the angel said to Joseph, for he will save his people from their sins. So why now, in this small slice of the big picture, does Jesus tell John to baptize him in what surely was a baptism of honest confession and sorrowful repentance for sin, even though he'd never sinned, we are told. Because, well, I think, actually kind of an epiphany to me this week. I'm not sure I've thought this before, but I think that having become truly human, having become, in other words, truly us, I think at least some of what may be going on here is kneeling in honest confession and sorrowful repentance for our sin. Taking that thought even further, I think of 2 Corinthians 5:21, when Paul said that Jesus, of course, never sinned. But what he did to, Paul says, what he somehow did do, he became our sin. Which, of course, you will see most dramatically and completely when staying with Paul's language, Jesus will become our sin nailed to a cross and damned all the way to hell. Then to rise again in righteousness, that we, not because of any righteousness we've personally achieved, but by grace through faith, might become His righteousness, all the way home to the righteousness of the kingdom of God. We we believe the Bible tells us in our baptisms in the name of Jesus, are clothed in his righteousness was he in his baptism by John his baptism in the name of confession and repentance was he in fact intentionally doing the reverse of that kneeling in those waters of confession and repentance clothed somehow in and repentant for our sin as in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he became sin who knew no sin, that we might become his righteousness. My dear mother-in-law, when she watches the news, and she always watches the news, I tell her to stop sometimes, but you can't tell a 99-year-old woman what to do. She watches the news, and having the oh-so-dear and tender heart she does as she watches she grieves this isn't just even true just recently I've seen my mother-in-law watching the news with tears and what she is grieving is the world's sin true repentance involves grief Jesus kneeling in the waters of the Jordan and having the heart he does was maybe also grieving the world's sin. As he now did in the waters of this baptism begin his journey which of course would above all be a journey to a cross for sinners. Here at the beginning of that journey however Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us something happened that hadn't ever happened before when John had ever baptized anybody else. The Holy Spirit in the form of a dove came down upon Jesus and then a voice, a voice from heaven spoke to Jesus and spoke of Jesus. Grammatically, if you compare Matthew, Mark and Luke especially, it is, and even in Matthew alone, it is not entirely clear who was actually able to hear that voice in the sense of actually being able to understand what the voice said. It does seem clear that at the very least Jesus and probably certainly John did hear and understand as a voice from heaven said here, here where it all begins here at his baptism, this is my son my beloved, in whom I am so pleased. Anyone who heard and understood that voice and knew their Old Testaments which I think we can assume uh, Jesus and John both did, might have had an epiphany of their own then. As they heard in that voice echoes of our first reading today, our reading from Isaiah today, where the prophet speaks of God speaking of one whom God calls His chosen servant in whom God delights and whom God would give to the world for the healing of the world. From the inaugural waters of His baptism, Jesus then would get up now to go and do and to be every single thing that He did come to the world to do which was to heal the world home. Sin, being as ugly and sinful as it is, healing the world of it, would prove to be the hardest path any human ever has by faith been asked to walk. He would do so faithfully, remembering what he was given to remember when he was baptized. He would do all he would do, no matter where it led, remembering that from the beginning and for forever, he was beloved. And the one he was beloved of was God his Father. And the one he was beloved with was the Holy Spirit, with him always. In the waters of your baptism, the Holy Spirit, visibly, was washed upon you. In the waters of your baptism, the guilt of sins you hadn't even sinned yet, hadn't even thought of sinning yet, was washed off you. In the waters of your baptism, the righteousness of Jesus was clothed around you and in the waters of your baptism those with ears to hear even heard a voice that was a heavenly voice saying of you this is my child whom I love in the waters of your baptism in other words you in most of your cases even before you were old enough to know it were given to know And to remember that you began beloved, and you will finish beloved too, for the love you are loved with is the love of God. What, dearly beloved, is love today calling you to up and do? Because God's love is love not just for you, but for the healing of the world. Amen.